0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. Psalm 90 verse 14, Moses prayed this way, he said, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. And Lord, that's our prayer this morning. Lord, would you satisfy us this morning? with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad this morning, that we would rejoice and be glad all of our days. Lord, would you speak directly to every heart in this room? Lord, would you keep speaking to my heart? Would you keep changing me? God, we so desperately need you. Please open our eyes this morning. Wake us up. Show us your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Harvest. My name is Nathan, I'm one of the counselors here on staff, and it is such a joy, I sincerely mean that, it is such a joy to be here with you this morning. And if you've got your Bibles there, please open them up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. And as you're turning there, I'd like to read to you from another place in Matthew, where Jesus spoke about treasure. And this is what he said, he said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Notice, notice the intensity and the passion of this man who finds the treasure. As soon as he finds it, right away he goes and he sells everything that he has so that he can grab hold of this treasure. And why does he do that? Here's why he does that. Because the treasure is truly that great. And because he is so filled with joy that he's now enabled to let go of his earthly treasures so that he can grab on to a far superior one. In fact, to grab hold of a far superior treasure, he's got to let go of his earthly treasures. You know, it kind of reminds me of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. He said this He said, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So, why, Paul? Why have you suffered the loss of all things so that you can gain Christ? Well, here's why. Because He is the greatest treasure in the universe. He is supreme, He is ultimate. And when someone truly finds him, they joyfully do all they can to get as much of him as possible. Unless they get distracted. Unless they get distracted by something far less and take their eyes off the treasure and then exchange all that joy and exchange all of that passion for apathy. Because when we're not focused on the greatest treasure in the universe, Jesus Christ, when we're not happy in him, then lesser things begin to grab our attention. And lesser things begin to capture our hearts. And then lesser things begin to take over our lives. But it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, it doesn't have to be that way in 2015. Because real freedom, real freedom from the grip of earthly treasures, is available to us even here this morning, if we have ears to hear, and if we have eyes to see, and if we have the faith to believe this, that Jesus is better, that Jesus Christ is better treasured, that he is infinitely superior to all earthly treasures. And the more that we grab hold of this truth this morning the more we will experience freedom again from the grip of earthly treasures in 2015. Amen? Amen. Well, that leads us right into our first point, which is this. You can jot this down. My heart will always follow what I treasure. My heart will always follow what I treasure. Have a look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. This is what Jesus said. He said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in verse 19 and 20, Jesus says, don't do this. Do this. And then here's why. So in verse 19 he says don't do this do not store up do not accumulate for yourselves treasures on earth don't fill barns why because that treasure won't last and then in verse 20 he says but do this instead accumulate for yourself treasure in heaven store up for yourselves treasures in heaven and why because they'll last forever and then in verse 21 Jesus gives us a warning, a warning about how this will play out in our lives, a warning for us today. And it is a warning that is so important that, listen, it's literally the difference between life and death. It's the difference between light and darkness, joy and sorrow, passion and apathy, holiness and idolatry. And here's the warning. Our heart will always follow what we treasure. My heart, your heart, the main control center of who you are, will always, always, always follow what you treasure. And Jesus said there's only two locations that our treasure can be. That's it, two. Either our treasure will be on earth or our treasure will be in heaven. And if our treasure is on earth, then that's where our heart will be. But if our treasure is in heaven, then that's where our heart will be. So before we go any further, let's get a definition for that word heart. And you can jot this down. The biblical heart is these three things. It's the mind, the affections, and the will. That's the biblical heart. It's the mind, the affections, and the will. So think about this. If our treasure is on earth, then that's where our heart will be. Meaning, that's where my mind will be. I'll be thinking about earthly treasure. That's where my affections will be. I'll be loving earthly treasure. That's where my will will be. My will will be surrendered to getting and protecting earthly treasure. And this is a warning, a warning to us right now, that if I'm following earthly treasure, then my mind, my heart, my will will be chained to that thing but it doesn't need to be that way. Because if our treasure is in heaven, and ultimately, if our treasure is Jesus Christ himself, then that's where our heart will be. That's where our mind will be. We'll be thinking about Jesus Christ. That's where our affections will be. We'll be loving Jesus Christ. That's where our will will be. Our will will be surrendered to Jesus Christ. Because my heart will always follow what I treasure, for better or for worse. So what we treasure or who we treasure is a huge, huge deal. As Paul Tripp said, he said this, what we treasure will rule our hearts. And then whatever rules our hearts will rule our lives. So here's what we must see this morning. We must see this that that if our hearts are following earthly treasures then we will be ruled by earthly treasures and we will live for earthly treasures and the whole reason that we even have earthly treasures to begin with is because we don't have our eyes focused on Jesus as we ought to i don't have my eyes focused on Jesus as i ought to and when that happens he starts to become very small in our eyes and the things of the world start to become very big and very important, and very enticing. And then we begin to lust after them, and that's when the devastation begins. And this is what Jesus is warning us about. Because when we follow earthly treasures, we will always, always, always follow them straight into darkness. Maybe you're thinking, well, what kind of darkness exactly? Well, if my heart is lusting after an earthly treasure like money, or power, or success, or respect. If my heart is lusting after those things, if I'm wanting those things way too much, then my heart will also be filled with fear. And here's why. If I'm lusting after money, if I'm wanting money way too much, if I'm thinking if I just get some money that I can get all the stuff that I want, and then I'll have all the security that I need for the future, if I'm lusting after money, then I will have an equally big fear of poverty. If I'm lusting after the approval of man, if I'm just living for popularity or respect and I just want people to praise me and to love me and to exalt me, if I'm lusting after that, then I'll have an equally big fear of being rejected. If I'm lusting after safety, like I just want to be protected, I want to make sure that at all costs I don't get hurt, if I'm lusting after that, then I will have an equally big fear of pain and suffering. If I'm lusting after success, I just want to get a little higher on the ladder, I want the power and the influence, I want the respect, I want the money, I want everything that goes with success. If I'm lusting after that, then I'll have an equally big fear of failure. And these lusts and these fears, they just can't be managed somehow. They can't be pushed into the background. They can't be swept under the carpet. Because any fear that is left to flourish will become life-dominating. Any lust that is left to flourish will become life-dominating, meaning it will spread out and infect everything in our lives. If we're lusting after money, if we're lusting after approval, if we're lusting after safety, that will spread out and infect everything. There will be no area of our lives that will be untouched. Any lust left to flourish will become life-dominating, and the same is true of fear. Any fear that is left to flourish will become life crippling. It too will spread out and infect everything. So many of us, so many of us in this room right now are just getting pummeled. Week in, week out, going through life and just getting slammed by the wave of life dominating lust and then bam on the other side. Slammed with the wave of life, crippling fear. And then when we least expect it, bam! Hit by the wave of anger. And why anger? Where did that come from? Well, think about it. If I'm lusting after something and I can't have it, what happens? Anger. Or if I'm fearing something and despite my greatest efforts to control the situation, my worst fears come true, what happens? Anger. For so many of us, we're going through life week by week under the weight of these lusts and these fears and this anger. And we're thinking, how on earth did I ever get here? I used to be joyful. I feel just enslaved. I feel like I'm just in this darkness. How did I get here? Here's how we got here we followed our earthly treasure here into this darkness. And listen, all of us struggle with treasuring things on earth. I struggle with treasuring things on earth. You struggle with treasuring things on earth. Therefore, all of us struggle with lust and fear and anger. And therefore, all of us need to see this this morning that the whole reason that we have earthly treasures to begin with is that we don't have our eyes fixed on Jesus like we ought to. And that's where the downward spiral begins. You can throw that first chart up on the screen. It all begins with this unbelief. And what is unbelief? Unbelief is I don't have my eyes fixed on Jesus like I need you. I'm not remembering who he is. I'm not remembering what he has done. I'm not remembering the promises of God. I'm I'm just not focused on the Lord. And when I'm not focused on the Lord, guess who I'm going to be focused on? Me. I'll be focused on me. And that's what pride is. Pride is the heart that is turned inward on itself. So if I'm not focused on the Lord, I'll be focused on me. When I'm focused on me, I'll be focused on the things of the world. And that's what lust is. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm focused on evil things. Usually we're going to be focused on good things, but they've become for us ultimate things. And so when I'm not focused on the Lord, I'll be focused on me, then I'll be focused on the things of the world. And when I'm focused on the things of the world, then my heart will be filled with fear, and then eventually my heart will be filled with anger. And again, all of this flowing from not fixing our eyes on Jesus as we ought to. So question, what is it for you What is the earthly treasure that you so often follow into darkness? Do you find yourself lusting after money and therefore fearing poverty? Do you find yourself lusting after the praise and approval of man and therefore fearing rejection? Do you find yourself lusting after safety and therefore fearing pain and suffering? Do you find yourself lusting after success and therefore fearing failure all of the above, all of the above, because I know I can find myself in any one of those places when my heart's not on the Lord, and I think that's true for all of us here this morning. So three questions. What do you find yourself thinking about way too much? And again, it's probably not an evil thing. Maybe it is. But what do you find yourself thinking about way too much? Or what do you fear? And what do your fears reveal about what you treasure? Or what makes you angry? When is it that you get angry? What does your anger reveal about what you treasure? And again, again, know this, know this. Real freedom from the grip of that thing is available to us even here this morning. Even here this morning. Which leads us right into our second point, and I need this one. Here it is. You can jot this down. I need to direct my heart to Jesus. I need to direct my heart to Jesus. Do you? Do you? Amen? All right. Have a look at verse 22. Jesus said this. He said, The I is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So Jesus said that that your eye is kind of like a lamp and if your eye lamp is working well, then your whole body is going to be full of light. And I want that. Do you want that? Do you want your whole body to be full of light? Sounds good. Whatever that means. I want my body to be filled with light. So what does it actually mean to be filled with light and how do we have a healthy eye? consider this consider a tower and this tower is 100 feet tall it's made of stone it's five feet across and it's got one tiny little window at the very top and you're stuck in this tower and it's nighttime and it is terrifying it's pitch black dark you can't see your hand in front of your face but then the next day, the sun begins to rise. And the sun rises, and, and it hits just the perfect pitch where it's shining through that window. And when the sun is shining through that window, when the window is lined up with the sun, then the whole tower is filled with blinding light. This is what it means to have a healthy eye. Because when the window is lined up with the sun, the whole tower on the inside is filled with light. And when the eyes of our heart are lined up with the glory of God, our whole bodies are filled with light. Psalm 34 verse 5 says this, those who look to him are radiant. Those who look to him are radiant. So here's such an important principle for us. It's this, that when we gaze at the light, that's when we are filled with light and then we shine light we want to be a people who are shining light, we have to be a people who are gazing at the light because that's how we are filled with light, and then we shine light like a mirror. If we've got a little mirror, that thing in and of itself isn't filled with light. But if you take that little mirror and you direct it at a bright light, then it begins to reflect light. And does the Lord want you to shine light into this dark world? Yes, he does. Amen, he does. Let's have a, a look at Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said this. He said, you are the light of the world. Who's the you? You. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus said, let your light shine. Jesus commands us, let your light shine. And for light to shine from us, then we need to be a people who are gazing at the light so we can be filled with light and then shine light. So if that's what it means to have a healthy eye, then what does it mean to have an unhealthy eye? Or what does it mean to have a bad eye? Well, Look at verse 23. Jesus continues, he says, But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! Explanation point. So a bad eye is an eye that is not gazing at the glory of God. A bad eye is an eye that is gazing at the things of the world. Therefore, it is a heart that is following earthly treasure into darkness. And yet there is so much hope because what happens when a bad eye begins to catch a glimpse of the glory of God what happens when a bad eye starts to become a good eye well 2 Corinthians 3:18 happens and we all with unveiled face notice beholding beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit so as we start to be to behold the glory of God the holy spirit transforms us listen from one degree of glory to another not typically by one gigantic zap to another gigantic zap sanctification is slow which is why we need to keep looking so if if that's the way we are changed if we are if we are transformed as we behold the glory of God then two very important questions first question What is the glory of God? And second question, how do I see it? If that's how I'm transformed, then then what is the glory of God and how do I see it? Let's look at that first question. What is the glory of God? Well, that question is just far too big for me. That's just far too intense for me. That's massive and I've got a tiny little definition, but I like the definition. So let's go with this. You can jot this down. The glory of God is this. It's the revelation of God's perfections. It's the glory of God. The revelation of God's perfections. Or we could say, the revelation of God's holiness. Or the revelation of who God is. And as we behold that glory, we get transformed by the Holy Spirit into the image of Jesus. So how do we see it? How do we see the glory of God? One place we can look is nature, is creation. Psalm 19 verse 1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So as we go outside and we see stars or mountains or oceans or, or forests or animals or people, we are seeing the glory of God. We are seeing this general revelation of who God is and praise the Lord for sunsets. We see a general revelation of who God is in nature, but is there a place we can look where we can see a more kind of special revelation, a special revelation of the perfections of God? Hold it up if you know where we can see a special revelation of the perfections of God. Amen. It's in the Bible, right? It's in the Bible. This is the special revelation of God where God reveals himself to us in a special way, particularly in the person of Jesus Christ. So a Question. Are you seeing the glory of God in the Bible throughout the week? Because for us to see the glory of God in the Bible throughout the week, it's going to take at least three things. Here's the first thing. We're going to have to open the Bible. That's the first thing. I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer, right? But isn't it a challenge? why is it so hard to open the Bible? Like surely it's not the weight. Like surely we are able to physically do it. So why is it so hard to open the Bible? Well, there's probably lots of reasons. Here's one of them for sure. The last thing the enemy wants for us is for us to open the word of God, see the glory of God, and be transformed by the Holy Spirit into the image of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want that. So will there be spiritual opposition to reading the Bible? Yes, there will be. But if we want to see the glory of God in the Bible, we have to open it up. Here's the second thing. We need to believe it. That, that this is the, the, the breathed out and errant word of God. That right now you are holding in your hands the very words of your creator. How awesome is that? It's incredible. This is what he wants you to know about him. And if we want to see his glory in his word, we've got to open it. We've got to believe it. And here's the next thing. We need to meditate upon it. We need to meditate upon it. And that does not mean you get a mat, you cross your legs, you clear your mind, and you hum. Okay, not that, the complete opposite of that. It's you, sh- you turn on the washing machine of your mind to the spin cycle. You put some text in there, and you let it spin around a little bit. And you're thinking about it. It's rolling, it's rolling. And what is this saying about God? What's it saying about me? What's it saying about what I need to believe? Meditating, meditating, meditating. And maybe you're thinking right now, I'm just never going to do that. Never. I'm never going to do that. And the reason I'm not going to do that is because I'm not a meditator. okay, in love, in love, that is nonsense. It is nonsense. Let me speak directly to you. You are a PhD meditator. You have a PhD in meditating. All of us do, and, and I'll prove it. If someone offends us We can take that situation and roll it around and roll it around. And what did they say again? And how dare they say that? And I just can't believe they did that. And wait till I see them next time. And I'm going to say some things to them. Expert meditators. Or if there's something we're worried about, we can throw that into the washing machine, hit the spin cycle, and around it goes. And if I do this, disaster will happen. If I don't do anything, then I don't know what's going to happen over here. And spin and spin and spin. And some of us are so good at this, we can do it all night long without even sleeping. It's amazing. It's amazing expert meditators or if or if one time you just like you say something and you're like oh that was like the dumbest thing i've ever said in my life i can't believe i did that we can roll that around and roll that around and what do they think of me now and can i circle back and fix it phd meditators we are expert meditators we just need to learn to meditate on the right things we need to learn to meditate on who god is and what he has done and what he has promised In the Bible. This is how we see the glory of God in the Bible. So question. Where are you at with your Bible reading? Where have you been at in 2014 with your Bible reading? Because each one of us needs to be in the Word so that we can see the glory of God. Not so we can get some legalistic check mark out with that. But so we can see the glory of God so we might love Him and treasure Him more. Where are you at with your Bible reading? Listen carefully to this quote from George Mueller. Love this so much. And if you're familiar with George Mueller, he's a pastor, powerfully used of the Lord, started a lot of orphanages in England. He asked this amazing question, so relevant for us today. He says, how can we learn to enjoy God He says, how can we obtain such an all-sufficient, soul-satisfying portion in him that will enable us to let go of the things of this world as vain and worthless in comparison? Can I grab that pillow for me? Here's what he's asking. He's saying, How can us human beings who love comfort and who love pleasure and who have a death grip on earthly treasures, how can we be changed into people who who are just so in love with Jesus and treasuring him so much that that our death grip starts to loosen and we kind of drop those things so we can grab hold of the Savior? How does that happen? Well, he says, I answer. So let's listen from George Mueller. He says, I answer. This happiness is to be obtained through the study of the Holy Scriptures. In the Scriptures, God has revealed himself to us in the face of Jesus Christ. In them, we become acquainted with the character of God. Our eyes are divinely opened to see what a lovely being God is. And this good, gracious, loving, heavenly Father is ours, our portion for time and for eternity. Is that how you think about reading the Bible? Do you think about reading the Bible as a means of being happy in God? Do you think about reading the Bible as a means of beholding the glory of God so that you might be transformed by the Holy Spirit? Do you think about reading the Bible as a means of growing in your affections for Jesus Christ so those affections push out competing affections for the things of this world? Because reading the Bible cannot be about getting some legalistic checkmark. It cannot be about jumping through hoops to please an accountability partner. It can't be about anything but beholding the glory of God so we might know him and be drawn to him and treasure him and love him more. So let me ask you, where are you at with your Bible reading? And this question is not meant to bring about guilt, but rather meant as an encouragement in the truth that all of us here this morning need to fix our eyes on Jesus. And so where are you at with your Bible reading? And if you're not in a good place, if you're not in a good place, if 2014 has been kind of a wash, it's okay. This is a safe place. We can, we can talk about these things. It's a safe place. But what's your plan for 2015? 2015? And if you're thinking, well, I don't really have a plan, here's the plan. Four things. You can jot these four things down. Here's the first thing. Choose a time. Choose a time that's going to work for you. So for some of us, that's going to be in the morning. Some of us maybe need to get up a half hour, hour earlier in the morning. For some of us, it's going to be in the evening. But choose a time that works for you. Here's the next thing. Choose a place. Choose a place that you can go to read the Bible and pray and, and kind of be on your own and not be too disturbed. So choose a time, choose a place. Here's the third thing. Choose a book. Choose a book of the Bible to read through. Whether that's one of the Gospels or one of the letters of Paul, choose a book to read through from beginning to end. So three things. Choose a time, choose a place, choose a book. And here's the last thing, and this is the meditating part. Take notes. Take notes. Whether you read one verse Or whether you read four chapters, get a journal, get a pen, and write down the verse or the verses that stand out most to you. So that can help you meditate on what the verse actually means. Take notes. This is what John Piper says about taking notes. I love this so much. He says this. He says, I don't fully understand it, but there are eyes in my pen. (laughs) Love that. He says, I see things when I slowly write down the text that I don't see any other way. He says, I circle words that are repeated. I underline phrases and, and draw lines between them, which helps me see connections and then the meaning of the passage. And we don't have to be a John Piper to do that. I can do that. You can do that. We can write out a passage We can circle words that are repeated. We can underline things that stand out and we can ask God to teach us what he's saying because ultimately it's the Holy Spirit who is our teacher, right? It's God who is our teacher. That doesn't mean we we get rid of the study Bibles. We get rid of the commentaries. Those are gifts. We love those things. Those are helpful. But we have to keep in mind that God is our teacher and he wants to show us his glory through his word. But we're gonna have to show up. Class is on. Class is in session. God is there. He's waiting. But we got to show up. If we want to be blessed, we got to show up. So again, again, choose a time. Choose a place. Choose a book. Take notes. And if you do this, if you meet with the Lord in his word, he will show you the glory of who he is and what he has done and what he has promised. And you will love him and treasure him more. Because when we fix our eyes on him, we can throw up that last chart. When we fix our eyes on him, believing happens. What is believing? Well, believing is I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus. That's, that's believing. And, and as I fix my eyes on Jesus, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, then guess who we're looking at less? Ourselves. And that's what humility is. Humility isn't thinking a lot of bad thoughts about yourself. Some of us think that's what humility is. That's not humility. Humility is thinking about ourselves less. How is that going to happen? It will only happen as we fix our eyes on the Lord. And yes, we're always going to struggle with pride. We will. But as we fix our eyes on the Lord, we will be thinking about ourselves less, which leads to contentment. Contentment. And why contentment? Well, contentment, because as we begin to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, we begin to experience him as the treasure that he is. And then we learn the greatest thing in the world. And here's the greatest thing in the world. It's that Jesus is enough. Let that just sink into your heart right now. Jesus is enough enough. That if we have Jesus, we have everything. If we don't have Jesus, we don't have anything. And as we fix our eyes on him, we begin to experience him as this great treasure. And and we begin to learn that he is enough. And then we experience peace. And why peace? Because this God who is enough is with you. He's with you. His grace is sufficient. His presence is all you need. He is with you. Which then leads to increasing holiness. Holiness. And why increasing holiness? Well, because as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we begin to experience him as the treasure that he is, start to learn that he is enough and that he's with us and he's all that we need, then our affections for him begin to rise, which push out competing affections for the things of this world. And as we begin to treasure Jesus more and more, we have this growing desire to do what he wants us to do. And we point others to him, to this great treasure that we have found the treasure of Jesus Christ, the greatest treasure in the universe. Maybe you're thinking, okay, I'm hearing this, but but man, I've got some like pretty sweet treasures, you know? I got a sweet treasure sitting in my driveway. I got a sweet treasure sitting beside my cottage right now. I mean, I'm you tell me Jesus is better than those things? How is Jesus better than those things? Let's consider the superiority of Jesus Christ to any earthly treasure. And we'll begin with this. In Him, in Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins. No earthly treasure can do that. All of us were separated from God. And maybe there are some people here this morning and you are separated from God because of sin. At one time, all of us were separated from God because of our sin of unbelief and pride and lust and fear and anger and not loving God and not loving others. And our sin was literally dragging us to hell. But God, because of his great love, he sent his son into the world 2,000 years ago to take the punishment for sin that each one of us deserves. And Jesus gave himself over to that. He gave himself over to be crucified on a cross to take the punishment that we deserve. And he bled and he died in our place. So that if anyone here puts their faith in Jesus, that he is the son of God and he died for my sins, he died in my place then they will not perish, but they will have eternal life through the blood of Jesus Christ, be reconciled to him, to enjoy him now and forever. No earthly treasure can do that. Amen? In him we have righteousness. The very obedience of Jesus Christ credited to our account as though we had done it. It's absolutely awesome. So that we in Jesus Christ can stand before God as washed clean through his blood as innocent, but also clothed with the righteousness of Jesus, justified in his sight, made perfect. No earthly treasure can do that. In him we have wisdom from God. We have sanctification. We have redemption. We have all the promises of God. We have all we need for life and godliness. No earthly treasure can do that. In Him, we have all the grace and provision that we will ever need for our lives. In Him, we have this love that is better than life. In Him, we have a love that is able to actually satisfy our souls. No earthly treasure can do that. In Him, we have this eternal inheritance that is superior to everything. In Him, we have fullness of joy and pleasure in His presence. And the Son of God interceding for you even right this Very second, no earthly treasure can come even close to Jesus Christ. He is superior in every way. And all of us here long to experience him because all of us long to experience what can only be found in him, real love, real awe and wonder, real joy and peace and satisfaction, and power, and purpose for our lives. And these things are only found in Jesus Christ, and they cannot be found in any earthly treasure, which is why he is supreme, he is ultimate, he is the greatest. So ask yourself, do I want to experience more of that? Do I want to experience more of him in 2015? Do I want to experience more perfect love? And more awe and more contentment and more peace and more real joy and more real satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Do I want that? Do we want that? We do, don't we? We want that. We want that. So here's what we must do. We must fix our eyes upon him. We must, we must satisfy ourselves in him because that's when we begin to let go of our earthly treasures that we have a death grip on. It's when Jesus is enough. It's when Jesus is our treasure. You can think of it this way. If you're anything like me, it's a really bad plan to go grocery shopping when you're hungry. Okay? Really bad plan. Because if you're like me, you're going through the grocery store, and it's like every junk food on the shelves, it ends up in the cart, right? I'm just so hungry. It's cookies and chips and pop and bad plan to go grocery shopping when you're hungry. But if you eat a big, healthy, satisfying meal right before you go grocery shopping, it's night and day, right? It's night and day. You can be walking through the aisles and they've got those uh, free samples and, and someone's like, hey, you want some ice cream? You're like, no, I'm good. Want some chips? No, I'm good, I'm good. Why, why? Because I'm full, because I'm satisfied. And likewise, if we are heading into the world in 2015 with temptations, billions of them on every side wanting to lead us into darkness and if we're going into the world spiritually hungry, We are in huge trouble in 2015. But if we are going into the world spiritually full and satisfied, it will be night and day. And that doesn't mean we're not going to struggle. It doesn't mean we're not going to sin. It doesn't mean we're not going to be tempted. Of course we'll sin. But it will be night and day which is why we need to be a people this year who are feasting on the Lord because he really is the only water that can quench your thirst. He really is the only bread that can satisfy your hunger. He really is the greatest treasure that there is. And coming out of a message like this, um, this is what we don't want to do, okay? We don't want to now go home and see all our Christmas presents under the tree, and be like, away with you evil Christmas presents! Okay? We don't want to do that. God has given us all things to enjoy. Amen? Amen. If we want to talk to the Christmas presents, we can say something like, you are not ultimate. He is ultimate. God has only given us one thing to treasure, and it's himself. Now may he be our greatest treasure in 2015. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have opened up our eyes to see the glory of your son, Jesus Christ. There came a time in our lives, if we know you, Lord, where, where you said, let there be light to our heart, and there was light, and we could see your glory you gave us faith to believe and you united us to your son Jesus Christ and God we confess to you now that we are so weak and we are so easily led astray and all of us this year have followed after earthly treasures we just confess that to you now Lord you see our hearts you see our lives you know where we've been we confess that Lord I confess that. Lord, we want to see big transformation this coming year. Would you please, God, would you please give us the grace that we need to lift our eyes off of the things of the world and to gaze at you and to discover you for the treasure that you truly are and to truly experience the most amazing truth that there is, that you are enough. Would you satisfy our hunger? Would you, would you satisfy our thirst? Would we go into the world full and satisfied in you? God, would you be our vision for 2015? In Jesus' name, amen.